0: Hey, everyone. This is Katie. And just a quick note before we start the show. So you're going to hear a name that's bleeped a couple times um, when I'm telling a story to Jesse at the beginning of the show. And the reason for this is because this show is about cancel culture. And it's particularly about a new trend that has just popped up in the culture, which will make sense later. Um, But anyway, I was telling Jesse a story about a former colleague, and I used his name. And I realized that If I'm against cancel culture and I say that I am, and I think that I am, um, then I probably shouldn't be responsible for creating pylons of other people. So we decided to bleep his name, um, even though he kind of deserves it, and enjoy the show.
1: Katie, how's it going?
0: Hey, Jesse. Pretty good. Do you mind if I tell you a little story real quick? Absolutely not. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate you giving me this platform. Okay, so... uh, I don't know if you've been following what's been going on in Seattle, but Seattle has been um, protesting. There's been protests for I think yesterday, uh, Wednesday was the 12th day. So today's the the 13th night of protest. Um, And a lot of the protests started out downtown, but they've since moved. They migrated to Capitol Hill, which is the neighborhood that I used to live and work in before I moved and before I got laid off. And Capitol Hill is historically, I guess, considered the, you know, the kind of the gay district. Um, Although now it's mostly filled with like chain ramen shops and shit like that. Um, But so Capitol Hill is, is uh, there's a police precinct there. And so people have been marching to the police precinct and there's been like lots and lots of chaos. Like the other day, someone drove into a crowd of protesters and when the protesters and and there's like some fuzziness on whether this was intentional or whether this was a driver just like trying to get away from the like trying to drive through the neighborhood or whatever and these protesters apparently barricaded his car um, somebody like reached into his car and tried to stop him and he shot the guy and this all happened right in front of the stranger so the stranger office is is right there at the corner of where all this this action has been and like lots of confrontation with the police I've been I haven't been there of course but I've been watching it unfold online and it's just like it's crazy shit I mean crazy shit from my office window you can see just like tear gas Oftentimes, lots of battling—it's just wild to watch unfold. So, uh, the police uh, actually ended up abandoning their their precinct um, that that was like a, a, a block from the Seattle office the other day. So they so they totally abandoned this precinct, and this was this has been considered, you know, a huge victory for the protesters. So, like where it said like police station or whatever, now it says like Seattle people station or something and they've blocked off the street so there's this like six block radius that they're calling the capital Aut- autonomous zone so this is like free seattle they've like they've created their own their own little area that they are claiming is uh is now exempt from the laws of the united states um and i i'm not sure how like what's actually going on there i think it's probably some like folding tables and people giving out pizza and, <laughs> and shit like that
1: okay so what you just, and, just like, described is basically a perfect society as far as i'm concerned
0: i, I mean, <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha yeah you could be the in the and when you set up your autonomous autonomous then you could be the pizza baker even uh, i can't wait in the midst of all this um someone apparently spray painted fuck herzog on the door of the stranger building so first of all let me just say like how glad i am that i don't have to like go to work and like walk through this zone where uh, maybe they have guards like letting people in and out or whatever just like how awkward would that be to be like i'm heading to that door right there that says fuck herzog on it May- will you please let me through sir madam or you know a sort non-binary guard whatever um so i found out about this because somebody told me that my former editor had tweeted a photo of this and i look. so i looked it up and so who was the digital manager at the stranger and was in some respects i suppose my boss at the paper or at least my superior um posted a photo of this and so it says like Fuck Herzog on the door, although it really says fuck Herzog because the G is like didn't make it on the on the window, and so the G sort of fades into the into the blue of the door. So are you sure their
1: gripe isn't with a journalist at the Stranger named Katie (laughs) Herzog?
0: It probably is. She's an intern. She was huge turf, I heard. Um, So my my former editor tweeted this, and his commentary uh, on the tweet was, "She doesn't go here anymore." And I saw that and I'm I'm not going to lie. I was like shaking fucking mad. Like I had just woken up from a nap and I saw this suite and I was just like, I cannot believe that one That's of my former, cool. it, like one of my former colleagues would be this like petty and mean girl. I mean, like literally quoting fucking mean girls um, for like in response to somebody graffiting my name on a fucking building, which like, I don't know. I mean. I just – I'm just going to say I think it's weird that people are, like, targeting me. I'm just, like, a fucking, like, milquetoast liberal with, like, pretty normative views.
1: Well, but that's the whole point is, like, you, you it's like they target someone they think they can hurt. Like, fuck, fuck Trump.
0: Yeah, of course. Fuck Trump. Right. Right. So um, it turns out that can't really hurt me because, you know, now we've started this podcast. So I tweeted a link to this or I tweeted – I tweeted uh, – I retweeted <laughs> – Um, And I said something about like, you know, this is like exactly the behavior I would expect from my former editor. Um, And I was like, you know, my feelings were hurt. I was offended about it. And then I naturally tweeted a link to our Patreon under it. And our Patreon, this like, like thousands of people like this tweet, our Patreon got shared all over the Internet. And now we have surpassed our stretch goal of $4,000. And you have to write a rap song about the (laughs) replication crisis, which you for some reason promised to do know. Uh, <laughs> so I, uh, so like, I feel like, you know, sort of uh, like hurt. My feelings are hurt by this tweet. But on the other hand, like we just made like, uh, like basically like $12,000 a year based on my editor being a prick to me.
1: It was, it was amazing. I, so I get the, I run the Patreon, I have the keys. So I saw after you tweeted that, like probably our biggest burst yet. So Thank you so much for your unwitting contribution to our podcast. You put us over the stretch goal. Um yeah, that I mean that's exactly and as you pointed out, it allows you to not have to work with people like that anymore, which is great.
0: Yeah, the only asshole I have to work with is Jesse Single.
1: I wish I would not wish on anyone to be clear, but it's a different but we're thousands of miles away, so it doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, but you know, I do I do feel like people have been like encouraging us to start a podcast for a while and people have been telling me for a while like if you do something on your own I will give you money. And I I like kind of believed it, but this has been just like stunning to see the support that we've gotten uh, both like with downloads and listeners and, and reviews, but also people like signing up to the Patreon has been just very shocking. Um, it's there's something about like, you know, when you're a writer and you like look at Chartbeat or whatever sort of sort of platform measures your statistics and you can see people reading and commenting and and it, it's sort of like that to watch the patreon but so much better because it's not fucking clicks we're getting it's money um and yeah and it feels like not just like so gratifying to have the support but also i feel fucking free i feel like i can like speak my mind in a way that i was totally not able to do before and not have to worry about losing my job I'm pissing off my coworkers besides you. Um, and it feels important and it feels just like, I don't know. I'm just like very grateful to everybody for, for supporting us with this. It's just, it's amazing.
1: I mean, I'll just echo everything you just said. Uh, this is the best thing that's happened to me journalistically since, since I got a book deal and it's, we're so gratified by it and just the, that it's happening at a time when there's, when it feels like everything's falling apart and, and that makes it a little bit bittersweet. Cause I think in certain ways we're, we're benefiting from the collapse of everything, but like, um, I don't know. Thank you, everybody, so much. I mean, we're we're really committed to making this podcast uh, as great as we can, and, and we want to grow it much bigger. But we, I did not in a million years think this would happen this quickly. I did so. I did this stretch goal. My book is partly about the replication crisis, this big crisis in psychological science. I I did the stretch goal thinking like I would have months. I you know I I believe in the podcast. I thought we'd get there. But I thought it would take way longer. No, like less than a month in, we hit it. And um, I don't want to keep like you know comes I don't want to come across as gloating, but we're we're so thankful to you guys also like we understand $5 a month is not insignificant especially right now so like the free numbers have been amazing too and if you can't or don't want to subscribe we really appreciate you still and and just tell people about the podcast because every you know 10 people who are told about it one of them signs up yeah i mean we'll we'll get to the show show but but this is this has been incredible thank you guys so much the hip hop song about the replication crisis let me get you guys like a, a drop dead deadline for me to deliver that to you soon. It, it's it's going to be months. It's going to take a little while. I know you can't tell from my voice, but I'm actually white, <laughs> and and this this often surprises people. But I don't have a huge amount of hip hop experience, so uh, I'll be uh yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But th- just thank you guys, thank you guys, thank you guys.
0: Yeah, and if you can think of any anything that rhymes with replication crisis, Jesse's going to need your help. <laughs>
1: I'm so screwed. I'm just so profoundly screwed. This is going to be like this is going to be the 9/11 of cultural appropriation.
0: I can't wait. Honestly, I can't wait. What should we do for our like big stretch goals? Like ten thousand dollars. Like what would that be? I mean, I think you should have to write a musical.
1: I think you should have to write a musical.
0: No, 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 no. You're
1: the you're the musical one. You're the musical one. Oh, you know what? If we ever, I don't want to jinx anything. If we ever got to something like that, we would do something very big. So we will uh, we'll brainstorm off. Off mic about that.
0: Jesse will make pizza for every one of our donors.
1: For every living American.
0: Uh, all right, Jesse. What um? What podcast are people listening to right now?
1: You're listening to Blocked and Reported, the only podcast. And I'm Jesse Single. And I'm Katie Herzog. What are we What are we talking about today?
0: Okay, today we are going to talk about a a trend that has recently accelerated that someone in my DMs referred to as Me Too for microaggressions, and I think that's a very apt way of putting it. So, over the past few days, week, whatever time is a construct, especially in the during pandemic, um, and the ongoing cultural revolution, people across. Industries across sort of like white collar industries that we follow have started being fired for what uh, I think could mostly be described as as racist microaggressions. Um, so you know, last week we talked about James, or a couple days ago, whenever that was. We talked earlier about James Bennett um, from the New York Times who got fired or who was forced who resigned after this uh, uh, this op ed by Senator Tom Cotton was was published in the New York Times, which led to this massive outcry um, from the New York Times staff which if you're interested in you can go back and listen to our last two episodes so after that adam Rappaport, who is the editor-in-chief of the uh, bon appetit the food magazine resigned this week after a photo of him that his wife had posted on instagram several years ago of he and his wife dressed in quote-unquote brown face they were dressed as sort of like puerto rican like chola types Maybe not Puerto Rican. I don't know. Maybe I'm going to get in trouble for assigning, la- assigning a nationality to this. They were dressed in sort of like stereotypically Latino, Latina, Latinx um, fashion. And so this – I assume it was for like a costume party or a Halloween party and not just like them out on the town um, wearing like hoop earrings and wife beaters. Um, but so he he resigned.
1: Yeah. We, we should say that the caption of the post does make it sound like it was, it was intended to be um... – Puerto Rican, just the the ling- language they used.
0: Do you do you have the post the post up?
1: I have an NPR piece that says in the caption of the post, Shoebuck calls Rapaport poppy and adds the word "Boricua," a local colloquialism for Puerto Rican that derives from the indigenous name of the island.
0: So it was a throwback Thursday. We're not sure when the photo was actually taken. It was posted in 2013. Um, But so this 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 started getting a lot of attention. Um, A I believe a freelancer for Bon Appetit or someone who wanted to be a freelancer for Bon Appetit also posted some DMs between her and Rappaport, where she's basically like. Uh, mad that he wouldn't that she didn't get she didn't get assigned a story on some uh, like puerto rican food trend um that she wanted to write about and so she she posted this long exchange between her and rapaport that i don't actually it was odd i didn't actually think it made him look bad at all he he spent like a lot of time talking to this freelancer about sort of the pitching process of what he was looking for um and I read it as him being, like, very gracious with his time. What did you think of it?
1: There's been a whole subset of of people sort of posting DMs with editors or superiors. Look, I haven't read all of them, and I don't, I'm not privy to any of the details, but a lot of them just did not seem dissimilar from, you know, in some cases, like, polite rejections I've gotten or just normal parts of the editorial process. So nothing jumped off the screen at me, But I but I think important context here is, like, if someone... We saw a version of this with Me Too, which we can get into. But if someone posts what they say is a damning screenshot, people are going to read it in a very particular
0: light, right? Right. Absolutely. And so while this was ongoing, so people were posting this and and like, of course, like, major drama at bon appetit there's apparently they had a meeting that he that he was there for and then he like left so that the, the staff could uh to discuss i guess it was probably on a call or a Zoom or something like that and then the staff all got together and decided that he should resign which he actually did i um, mean there were some other accusations an assistant editor um said that she was quote unquote angered and disgusted um by the photograph and she also said that um that Bon Appetit had a history of not compensating uh, white editors as well, or I'm sorry, not compensating uh, black and brown staffers for like their video appearances the way that they did white people. Um, I'm not sure how much of this is has like is corroborated, um, but there's some like accusations of them of the magazine like being a hostile environment for people of color, and this has gone. So this was at Bon Appetit um over the past few days uh so a, an editor from refinery 29 stepped down an editor at the philadelphia inquirer resigned on saturday um after dozens of staff members walked out because the the paper published an article with the headline buildings matter too um which clearly is a reference to black lives matter um in reference to i guess like looting and burning of buildings in philly so the headline was like so egregious to people that they walked out. Um, the CEO of Second City, the CEO of CrossFit, uh, the sustainable fashion brand Reformation, a woman from the CBC was fired after quoting the N word um, in a meeting. So she's she was like literally quoting someone, and she was fired for that. Um, some some like pop culture stars have, have been fired. A few people were fired from the show Vanderpump Rules, which I've never watched, but apparently is popular. Um, a guy named Hartley Lauer was fired from The Flash. Um, and that was after this woman named Sky Jackson, who I'd never heard of, but she has like 500,000 followers on Twitter. And she, has, she wrote a book called Reach for the Sky, How to Inspire and Empower and Clap Back. So This woman has turned her account into like a call out account where people are sending her like incriminating DMs or social media posts or whatever. And she's she's publicizing them. Um, She, for instance, targeted like a Yale freshman who, when she was 15, used the N word and like a a, in some sort of meme or social media thing. Um, Yale like responded to this and said they were investigating this student for something she did when she was 15 years old. Um, So this is like this is really spreading, I think. Me too for microaggressions is a great way to put it. And we're seeing the same sort of apologies, um, self-flagellation, promises to do better. Um, And I am very curious to see how this is going to spread. So, Jesse, I want to make a a confession since like we're on air here, you know, and I'm not sure if people are going to come for me next. So I feel like I should just like get some things off my chest. Finally. In 1997... I sang along to the inward with the big during the biggie small song Juicy, all that summer.
1: are you trying to ruin us?
0: look Jesse I just want I want to get out in front of it before somebody digs up my old Facebook photos or something oh my old mice actually I guess it would be like Friendster before somebody goes into my Friendster um, and, that, and that's not it. I also have in the past asked people with foreign accents where they are from. I'm not proud of it, but I have done it. And probably my most serious microaggression, between the year, the years nineteen ninety eight and nineteen ninety nine, I had dreadlocks. <laughs>
1: Uh, more of a more of a crime against fashion than anything as far as i'm concerned
0: it was a crime against fashion i would tie them in knots like coolio so it was like ani DeFranco meets coolio actually i so last year my editor at the stranger um asked me to write a piece about a dra- dreadlocks i'm not sure why he did this there was a, a black man on staff was um, was writing about dreadlocks and he asked me to write sort of like the white girl fashion crime um piece about it and I had a picture that uh, a pic- like there's like one one ex- picture in existence of me with dreadlocks, and I look totally fucking insane they're literally tied in knots and uh like sticking up straight straight up from my head um, and you would think that somebody would have like told me this was a horrible look i'm gonna just go ahead and tell you people did tell me this was a terrible look but <laughs> I just thought they didn't understand me. So I sent my editor this photo and after like dying laughing, he was um, very concerned about publishing it because he thought people would think it was equivalent to blackface.
1: so dreadlocks are equivalent to blackface.
0: Yeah, and he and then and then he he like had to ask the, like the black people in the office if it was so offensive that it couldn't be published. And as far as I know, they were fine with it because it actually did get published. Um, yeah, this was actually during the height of the Ralph Northam um, Justin Trudeau blackface scandal. I think if the Ralph Northam Justin Trudeau thing had happened today, I don't think they'd survive it. No, it seems
1: like the the ground is shifting quickly and. First of all, I mean, I just want to say, given the extent of the anti-Semitic macro aggressions you commit against me whenever we're talking privately, <sighs> just just Jew boy, you don't
0: count. <laughs> Jew, Jew, Jew boy don't count. Jew
1: boy don't count. Uh, no, look, it it part of the problem with the current moment is if you're online, you're expected to react instantaneously with a strong opinion to situations you know almost nothing about. I. Imagine that if you are one of the first people of color to start working at a traditionally white magazine or newspaper, I could really see that sucking in a lot of ways because you're likely to be from a bit of a different background. Journalism is a notorious old boys club. I also think there's like a a really big class element here where where journalism is becoming increasingly winner take all. So you have – I mean the the Bon Appetit story, right? Wasn't that partly – an editor making whatever six figures, not being willing to give a raise to an assistant making thirty five grand, or am I mixing up stories?
0: No, that was Bon Appetit. Yeah, his personal assistant. They had some conflict because she was she thought she was well underpaid, um, and he. I think when she when she asked for a raise, he basically was like, "If you this is according to an article in Business Insider. I don't know if this was fact checked or confirmed at all, but apparently he said like, well, maybe this isn't the right job for you.' I mean, she called him out, and people just it's like really amazing to see the sort of power that low level staffers have, um, you know, to get your CEO to resign over a over an Instagram post is real power.
1: Yeah. Well, so I guess like I I would. I mean journalism's collapsing so this is all difficult but I I don't really mind the idea of like the power shifting around a little bit I guess it's just a question of do we want people fired over a the dumbest photograph they ever took anywhere cuz I just think that's going to backfire if that becomes a standard and b you know what what does an actual process of justice look like because I think in a lot of cases lower level staffers have had no recourse. And this was sort of like the whole thing with the shitty media men list is like you go from a system where people don't feel like they can tell anyone to a less than perfect system of informing people. I I just am on principle opposed to the first, like if you're trying to get justice in a situation like this to the first thing you do being taking it to Twitter to have Twitter chime in. I just think that's such a horrible idea. And I think there's, got to be some way to like, at least try to do it behind the scenes. I'm not opposed. Like if someone's like something really screwed up is going on in your workplace and you've tried other means, but it's just the, the, what's going on right now is insane. Like the kid, the Yale thing you mentioned, the woman with the 500,000 followers already wrongly identified one teenager supposedly who supposedly posted a racist meme, bringing him or her God knows how much harassment. So this stuff sometimes misfires. And I guess, If I see someone posting a professional gripe about an editor, and I don't know the full context, I just, I don't feel like I should chime in on. I just, I don't want to lose sight of the fact that there are, I think journalism really sucks, but it sucks more if you're poor and if you're like right on the bottom rungs of it. And I think you're more likely to be on the bottom rungs of it if you're not white, just because there's like big correlations between race and and wealth.
0: I wonder about that. You know, you have a, you have like... It seems like the people who benefit most from things like affirmative action are not actually poor people of color, right? They're people of color who have means. Um,
1: That's the, There's a lot of data from top colleges that show they are much more racially diverse than socioeconomically diverse. And the way I think the critique some people have is that when you talk about, you know, black people at Harvard or Wesleyan, they, they tend to be much more likely to be sort of um, you know the kids of Ghanaian or Nigerian immigrants who who are socio socioeconomically privileged, whereas there's this massive underclass of Americans of all colors who have very little access to college. So the race and class stuff gets incredibly tangled,
0: right? So I wonder if the same and I'm just this is pure speculation here. I wonder if the same dynamic exists within within you know journalism or media or tech or whatever where. Yes, there is like there's definitely diversity problems. I don't think anybody would argue that there aren't. But if you're still getting from, you know, the small number of people of color who get these jobs, if you're still pulling from the from the the most privileged of those groups, this is just pure speculation. I I don't know if this is actually true. But there are clearly there are diversity problems in journalism and a big part of that is, you know, um the networks that people exist in your ability to do unpaid internships to like live in new york for a summer and have your parents pay for it or whatever um it's an incredibly difficult field to break into and why that isn't fucking worth it i think at this point um yeah so i guess this wraps up our discussion of racial racial microaggressions
1: oh fuck do you hear do you hear that
0: oh fuck oh god it's the allison roman alarm isn't it yeah we
1: were hoping we wouldn't have to talk about this anymore but um when did this happen? Was it yesterday or two days ago? Now uh,
0: this was—I don't know. Time has time has ceased to have any meaning. Okay, this was the same day that at the almost the same time that Adam Rapaport at Bon Appetit was losing his job over this old uh, costume photo, Alison Roman. Um, it was also revealed by one Yasher Ali that Alison Roman also had an offensive photo in her past. So on June eighth, Yasher Ali tweeted uh, the following. Amid the uproar at Bon Appetit, a source sends me this photo of Alison Roman dressed up as a chola from a party. Note her hoop earrings, fake tattoo on her chest, and her makeup unclear when the photo was taken (laughs) so in this photo you see alison roman drinking out of like a red solo cup with a couple of friends and she's wearing a white wife beater you can see her bra underneath she's got big hoop earrings um it looks like she's like painted a birthmark on her on her cheek on her cheek um and she looks like a like uh you know a 2000s party girl um this was a costume that I have definitely seen before and I think I um I have like photos of people who probably called me out on Twitter um or <laughs> on Facebook in my phone somewhere um of of people wearing this exact costume. Okay. So Allison Roman in response to this, she says This incredibly embarrassing picture was taken in 2008. I was 23 and living in SF. This was my SF-inspired Amy Winehouse costume for Halloween. It reads as culturally insensitive, and I was an idiot child who knew nothing about the world and how this would be perceived, and I'm sorry.
1: Okay. Uh, Like, uh, it makes me so mad that she's so, like punch drunk now that she thought she had to apologize for dressing up as Amy Winehouse, which every single person was doing around that time.
0: Right. And she does. So Yasher made a big point about how like, no, she has like an old English like tattoo on her chest. This is not Amy Winehouse. I think it's possible that it was like Amy Winehouse meets Chola. Um, But I would also just like to point out that in 2008, this would not have been considered offensive to the vast majority of people. In the United States, we blackface would have been offensive for sure. But dressing up as Amy Winehouse or even a chola, maybe it's inherently offensive to like turn someone else's culture into a costume. But we didn't fucking talk that way in 2008. And so just this. This, like, revisionist history where we're judging actions of the past by the insane standards of what's acceptable today is so fucking dangerous and so fucking troubling. So I called Yasher out about this, and he sent me— Wait, a- can you,
1: can you give, give listeners a little more information about what who Yasher is? Because I've always yeah. been— intrigued by this person
0: so yasher ali is he sort of came out of nowhere um i read an article about him a couple years or maybe a year ago that says that he's basically a wealthy like his parents i think had a bunch of money and he worked in dem politics like i think he worked for gavin newsom he might have done something with the clinton campaign but he's become like friends with all of these celebrities and i've also heard some some rumors that he's like maybe his story is like all bullshit and he's a grifter i'm not totally sure what's true and what's not when it comes to him um so uh, he, but he's this guy with like, let's see how many followers he has right now. Okay, he has uh, sixty-two over sixty-two thousand followers. Um, he's contributed apparently to New York Magazine and HuffPo. Um, and he just, for some reason, he has like a lot of fucking power on Twitter. He's like, he, apparently he like lived with Kathy Griffin for a while. He made friends with all these people and he just elevates shit now. And he also calls people the fuck out. So after I, I called Yasher out, he sent me a DM and we had a little back and forth. And let me just read a couple of these messages. Is it, is this bad of me to, to read DMs?
1: I mean, it's your call. I don't think they're off the record unless you say they are. Most people usually treat, I mean, it depends also what, what you're about to read.
0: He's not – this is nothing inflammatory at all. He just defends what he did. He says, just FYI, that photo is on her social media. She's not dressed up as Amy Winehouse despite what she says. She has large hoop earrings and a tattoo in Old English on her chest. And I said – why do we even care? These witch hunts have to stop. Shit was different 12 years ago, and surely you realize this. If we judge old behavior by today's standard, we're all fucked, and it's just not healthy for society. This is beginning to look like the cultural revolution, and it's deeply fucked up. It mystifies me that you're a part of this. I have no idea if Allison is Roman is covering her ass, and frankly, I wouldn't blame her. But I, Amy Winehouse wore hoop earrings, too, dude. <laughs> went, you went after him. Yeah, there's more. Um, I said that he could stop this madness if he actually wanted to make the world a better place, but this is not how you do it. Um, I said something. I believe about how, if he really wanted to make a difference in uh, like, and about oppression, he should go to, go to Kentucky and work to get Mitch McConnell out of office. I like, I was mad about it. And then I invited him to come on the podcast. Um, and he was totally noncommittal. Um, he said, uh, When I start doing stuff again, I will. I've literally never done a podcast ever. Can you believe it? I've only done a few live radio interviews. So that was his response to my invitation. Um, I think basically the answer is no. But I actually would like to get him on the podcast or somebody who is a part of this this trend, who's somebody who's a proponent of call-out culture, because I want to know what they think they're doing and what the purpose is. And if they genuinely think that this is going to make the world a better place. Because I think it's making the world a much worse place, but I'm totally open to the fact that I could be wrong about this and I would like for him or somebody else to defend this. It seems like
1: a lot of stuff is going on that is not directly connected to police brutality or structural racism or at least not – I mean it's sort of like we talked about in a recent episode how a, a disproportionate amount of trans activism has to do with these like sort of radical linguistic questions and and that that really becomes the focus of the conversation. I think – this ideally if people could like tamp this down it's just not there's definitely some I'm sure some real stuff is going to come out and there are abusive editors and again I got really mad when I read about that woman not getting a raise on $35,000 as her company makes this big show of donating a million dollars to black lives matters it's like get your get your own yeah get your own stuff in order first totally people will participate in these pylons i think there is pretty broad public sentiment against this idea of just Digging through someone's old MySpace photos, and what was kind of gratifying was like everyone threw the middle finger at Yashar.
0: Oh, is it Yashar? God, I've I've been microaggressing him too by pronouncing his name. What have you been saying? I've been I've been calling him Yasher. One of us is microaggressing. I don't think it matters which yeah he can come on the podcast and explain it to us
1: <laughs> exactly if you want us to stop mispronouncing your name <laughs> yasher or yashar come on the podcast also people mispronounce my last name all the time and it's heartbreaking
0: people mispronounce my first name all the time i feel you
1: kati katai yeah.
0: all the time all the time
1: i get. It. i i just i was like i twitter rarely makes me happy i was happy watching everyone rise up as one and be like Dude, just come on. Like, well, really, really, people are marching the streets. We're looking for old, offensive Halloween photos. I was, I was mad at Roman. Allison Roman should also come on our podcast. That would go well for her. Yes. For her to just roll over like that, especially after what she's been through. But I guess what I found most interesting and annoying was Yasher uh, posted, he deleted the photo, but then posted this explanation that basically boiled down to, well, I thought it was relevant. Because of Allison Roman's pre-existing issues, but those pre-existing issues, as we've discussed on this podcast, are are highly questionable. Whether there are issues, but it's just like once you've been tagged bad anything you do henceforth forever will be seen in a negative light by, by people who are just online all day trying to ruin other people.
0: Right. To, um, to like clue in anybody who hasn't been paying attention to this or is new to the podcast, Alison Roman is a formerly beloved New York times contributor. She's a, she's a food writer. Um, and she criticized Chrissy Teigen and Marie Kondo in an interview. And she was like wildly reviled for being racist because she criticized these two women who happened to be non-white. Um, loss of drama has has been has happened since then. Did you notice that after the Tom Cotton op-ed went up and all of these New York Times reporters were or contributors were tweeting in unison, um, this piece puts black uh, black journalists in danger? That Alison Roman was was one of them who tweeted it.
1: I did. I did. Uh... Yeah.
0: So she is. She is doing her damned best to get back in the good graces of the uh, thought police, and I don't think it's going to (laughs) work. I don't. I don't think there's anything that you can do that will, you know, you can self-flagellate, you can wash people's feet, you can fucking set your hair on fire, and I don't think it matters.
1: Allison, just get normal friends. Like, get friends who are not in media, who are not on Twitter. The reason I don't care when people get mad at me on Twitter is most of my friends are not online.
0: If, and the reason if, I don't care is cuz I don't have friends.
1: Exactly, or just stop having friends. But like,
0: yeah.
1: Can I wait? Can I speak directly to Alison Roman for a minute? Cuz she's almost Please certainly do. listening, right? Look, we all appreciate you. I don't know anything about Cookie or cooking or your work. People seem to love it. When you respond to something dumb like what Yasher did by saying, "Oh god, I'm so sorry," rather than saying something more in the vein of, "Fuck you, Yasher. Why are you digging through my old MySpace photos like a pervert?" You should call him a pervert. That's what you should have done. You, you make it you, – you normalize this crappy middle school tattling behavior, and I understand you've been through some stuff, but you should have just said, I, I'm not – I refuse to be judged on some dumb Halloween photo from God knows when. That's the end of my little rant to, Al- to our biggest fan, Allison Roman.
0: Where do you think this is going? I mean – are we going to have the equivalent of the, like, shitty media men but it's racist media men uh, list go viral?
1: There was already a version of that in the – was it Seattle or L.A. theater scene? Someone just, like, created this list of, of what, like, theaters that didn't get it and
0: – It was, like, theaters that hadn't made, like, a public statement supporting Black Lives Matter.
1: Right. So So this is this very – I don't try to throw the term neoliberal around much, but because like people just use it to mean stuff they don't like. But there, there, it's this neoliberal thing where all that matters is like what you say or what views you project, and it doesn't get much more thoughtful than that. And you can tell who's good and who's bad by like what they tweet. It, it's very individualistic, very geared at like not social pressure towards some good end, like actual work to dismantle oppression, but just toward like yelling at people because they won't tweet the right things and we've both been getting a lot of notes from people who are just like my online social networks are going crazy and people have been like called out for not changing their photo or whatever
0: right and i just i don't get this like you know i haven't like when george floyd died i was like i watched the video i was obviously horrified by it everybody's fucking horrified by it but i also don't feel the need to like can like just performatively say like murder is terrible because a it's self-evident and b i try to only enter a conversation when i actually have something to add and i really don't have much to add on when it comes to things like police brutality and the you know the murder of anybody in the streets because i just don't have that much shit to add other people can like can can articulate the problems much better than i can and so it's not even necessarily that you don't support the cause. I do support the protests. I wish they weren't happening during a pandemic, but sort of broadly speaking, I do support people's rights to, you know, to, to fight in the streets for causes that they care about. Um, even if I disagree with some of the tactics in this, per- this particular movement, but I don't feel the need to just like stand up and say it just so everybody knows that I'm one of the goods, you know, it, like, and I think the pressure to do this, we've talked about this before, the pressure to conform is so fucking high right now. So high.
1: Yeah, but I think maybe what's missing from that analysis is like, just the sorts of people white liberals are. And and again, I'm talking about my own kind, but it's like, highly educated, very opinionated, want to project concern with issues that don't affect us directly, because we all live in like segregated communities. And like, and then so you, you collide that with social media with everyone being inside, not going about their daily routines. There's a lot of people who are like, lawyers and bankers democrats who now who now are are experts on this stuff and and are posting stuff that makes no sense that i read it i don't know what they're talking about i can't even decipher what they're trying to say and i've frankly read and thought about this stuff a lot more than they have and written about it but it's like suddenly that this crop of of mostly white liberals is just like dominating the conversation and i think that's something white liberals tend to do because we're all taught we have incredibly important ideas and we're so interesting and nothing could be more fascinating than the content of our own mind. So a lot of people maybe should just quiet down a little bit. It says I the guy on the podcast who just increasingly talks for a living.
0: Right. I I get this sort of essentialist like white people need to shut the fuck up. I don't like that. Um, I don't like anything that's just sort of this like – Race based policy in terms of something like that. I get it. I understand like white liberals have dominated the conversation for too fucking long and oftentimes are extremely annoying, especially the ones in my fucking feed. Um, but
1: but But I'm saying something slightly different. Like I so if if white liberals were posting stuff that I thought actually was thoughtful or reflected black public opinion. Instead, it's a million people posting about how Robin D'Angelo's book changed your life, and Robin D'Angelo's book is itself written like she's never interacted with a real life Black person who's not an anti racism trainer. So it's it's the I agree with you. I'm not going to go the like white people need to take it like no everyone can talk. Everyone has social media. Block someone if you if they talk too much. But it's more just like this very um highly it's like a and kruger thing with this very uh someone with educational credentials thinks they can just wander into this conversation and, and shout something meaningful but they can't
0: um speaking of robin d'angelo i got a text message the other day that said this uh entire time i thought robin d'angelo was black um <laughs> which i think is probably like a very common thing and like my social media feeds are all people telling each other to buy this book which was actually written by a white woman white fragility's name of the book we've talked about it on, i think every podcast now um But, you know, the most famous D'Angelo that I can think of is indeed a black man. I think that's probably his first name and not his last name. But you can see why people would just assume that by buying this book, they're supporting a woman of color. Well, bad news. You're not. You're giving your money to a white lady. And this is the sort of thing that like I, I don't personally actually care about. But the people who buy her book... I think would probably are the sort of people who care about who think that they're doing something like virtuous by by reading this book and by supporting a woman of color um, so I posted on Instagram I informed my my I, I like got back on Instagram so I could inform my friends that they all just supported a, a white woman <laughs> and it didn't go over well it's just I won't get into it but let's just say it didn't go over oh, well I keep I
1: I've been meaning to write something about her and it keeps getting I just have so much other stuff going on, but I'm going to, I need to write just like the one piece explaining to people how crazy that book is and how in many places you could really make a case. This book is racist, like literally racist. It is bizarre. If you have ever interacted with a black person and then if you read Robin D'Angelo's book, you will not recognize her understanding of just like the, diversity and humanity of black people in America it's crazy to me this book caught on and I should stop ranting about it and just write about it
0: you should write about it and then you should you should talk more about it on, on the podcast um we have talked about it probably too much but it is like, some of the like more it's a phenomenon number 1 on yeah, amazon yeah, it's crazy yeah. um yeah and once again like every time we've talked about this book i i I've, I've mentioned a review by calla fasane we will actually put this in the show notes this time i will not forget people keep asking me what the fuck i'm talking about and they're trying to figure out how to google his name um and which is difficult to do so we will actually put this in the show notes but it's a review in the new yorker that was written by a black man uh, because identity is everything now and this matters
1: yeah and i just i just think like if you're White and liked Robin Dangelo's book, which says you should be deferential to people of color. Um, this review points out, like the author's, like, I, well, I'm a person of color, and I find this to be a bizarre. It's just the, the politics of deference get really complicated, and the message right now should not be just treat one group of people or another as as just holding these essential truths. It, it, truths. It should be something a little bit more. I don't know, man, universally uplifting while acknowledging we're coming from different places, blah, blah, blah. Martin Luther King.
0: It's just like fucking it takes all of like the individual out of all of this. It's just white people are one way. Black people are another way. It's fucking racist. And it is like shocking to see this held up as the bastion of progressive thought when it is so fucking it's racial essentialism. It is deeply fucked up.
1: There's a place early in D'Angelo's book where she says something like, um, you know, she's talking about offensive phrases. I don't think she calls them microaggressions, but that's what she means. She says, like, one of them is like, well, you know, respect really starts at home. You should treat everyone the same. And she says something like, most people of color reject that. It's like, really? Really? You think most people of color disagree with the sentiment, Res- you should treat people the same and respect starts at home? I mean, she's talking over black people who she doesn't even render as actual humans, but just this, like, oppressed mass over there that exists only to be offended by or to educate white people. It, it is like someone, an, a shitty British anthropologist in the 18th century going to Africa and describing some distant tribe as like mystical and the incredible lessons they taught me about myself. I don't understand how anyone can read this book and, and think that this is an acceptable understanding of race relations.
0: Dude, you are out of touch with the American public, my friend. People love this shit. It's... Fucking ridiculous! I just I wish that people would like read everything with more skepticism. Listen to this podcast with skepticism. No, 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 no! Believe what
1: we're we we talk about this. We're we're a cult we're a cult now. If you disbelieve anything <laughs> we say, you're going to go to our version of hell, which sucks.
0: Oh, it's really bad. It's our version of hell is just filled with Robin DiAngelo. It's just like clones of Robin <laughs> DiAngelo le- lecturing you that you shouldn't sweat because it's too. It resembles white tears.
1: Okay, we. I'm gonna lose my mind. What's our? What do we? What was our verdict? What's our take-home message on the the me-tooization of racial micro and macro aggressions?
0: Uh, I'm gonna go with uh, a little terrifying. I think that probably all of us have microaggressions in our past, um, that could get us in, in big trouble now. And I would like to invite you, Jesse, to confess your sins right now.
1: My first job, my first real job was at the Center for American Progress Think Tank, Progressive uh, think tank. I worked for like this this online magazine. And we would also go to colleges and do trainings, like train student journalists. And I don't know. I was not qualified for that then. Barely am now. We went to a school in Houston and I referred to um, people who had fled Katrina to Houston as refugees. And they found that offensive and they were completely cool about it. And they explained to me why they didn't like that. They said it made it sound like people from Katrina were from another country. And It was, I've often thought about that because the way they explained it was not like, oh my God, how could you say that? You're so ignorant. It wasn't, it didn't feel like a pylon, but it made me feel a little bit sheepish and that I should use different language next time without feeling personally attacked. So, you know, whatever you think about, about that particular linguistic choice, um, you know, that was a microaggression. They, they told me to do better, but in a non-obnoxious way. And I, I stopped calling, um, people who fled Katrina refugees. Sorry, that was a more earnest answer than you were looking for.
0: Uh, No, earnest is fine. Earnest is fine every once in a while. This is where your earnest quota has been filled up for the day. Um, But now that uh, we've both gotten off our microaggressions off our chest, I guess it's up to the people. Like, should we be fired? Should we be replaced by some people of color? I don't know. Sound off in the podcast. Sound off in the notes.
1: Yeah. Also, also write in with your worst microaggressions and your full name and place of employment and we'll post them on the BarPod Twitter feed.
0: Send pictures of your Halloween costumes from the mid-2000s. Katie, I have
1: to admit I was keeping an eye on Twitter while we're recording this. I have some really bad news.
0: Oh, God. What did Alison Roman do now? This is a tweet
1: from a woman named J.K. Rowling.
0: Oh God,
1: oh no. <laughs> it just says it just says turf wars and links to JK slash answers, which in turn points to Just posted, J.K. Rowling writes about her reasons for speaking out on sex and gender issues. This is inevitably going to be the subject of our next 20 to 25 podcast, but let's just set it aside for now.
0: All right. We'll sign up for the Patreon if you want to hear more about J.K. Rowling. We talked about it in a previous dispatch that is only available for people who give us money.
1: Do you think that's it for the free one? Because we're about to record a patrons-only episode about this effort to fight racism that culminated in the near ruination of a Palestinian American business in Minneapolis
0: yeah let's uh, let's get on that <laughs> let's get on that it's sure to be very enlightening and depressing
1: Blocked and reported podcast at gmail.com at Twitter on Twitter at the bar pod still got that subreddit thank you again so much to the patrons like this has just been incredible it's amazing that you know we this is becoming a Already is a financially viable podcast. It's all thanks to you guys and your desire to hear our our dumb voices. Anything else, Katie?
0: I'm sorry about my speech impediment. That's the only thing.
1: You have a speech impediment?
0: Yeah, I didn't realize it until I started editing this podcast. But now that I hear my own voice for hours every week, I have noticed that I have a speech impediment. It's sort of a shocking thing to realize in your late 30s, but I do.
1: Is it? I mean, I always thought your voice just sounded dumb and annoying and stupid, but is this more specific than that?
0: I don't actually want to say what it is because then I think people will pick up on it. They'll start to notice it. Um, So I'm just going to, I'm going to like, it'll be a teaser. If for our hundred, for our hundred dollar a month, Patreon, I will reveal what my speech impediment is.
1: I've become so much more intimately familiar with my own mouth noises. So what, what?
0: Oh yeah. I have also become very familiar with your mouth noises.
1: Yeah, it's not great. There's just a lot of saliva in there. I'm Jesse Single. And remember, if you're Allison Roman, you should come on this podcast and apologize for apologizing so damn much.
0: And I'm Katie Herzog. And also remember, when your parents said everything you put on the internet was going to come back to haunt you, they were right.